Hello, my soul-seeking friends. It's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul podcast. Enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we have Dr. Howard Eisenberg. He has a diverse, accomplished background as a neuroscientist, physician, psychotherapist, professor, author, management consultant, corporate trainer, public speaker, and an executive coach. He has spent over a half century of research trying to discover the true nature of reality and our place in it. He's joining us today to tell us about his book, which serves as a global wake-up call, Dream It to Do It, The Science and the Magic. It provides the breakthrough proof scientifically, logically, and experimentally for the primacy of consciousness as the underlining source of all. I am so excited about this conversation. So welcome, Dr. Howard Eisenberg. Hey, how are you? Really good. I'm just switching modes. I was just doing psychotherapy with a patient a few minutes ago. So. Ah. <laughs> Coming back to the here and now. <laughs> are you good at that? Like transitioning from one energy to the next? Well, you'll be a good judge of that, won't you? <laughs> I would imagine you are. How are you doing? I am good. Yeah. I, I really appreciate your interest and this opportunity. I think I shared with you. This is a deep call. It's not my choice. <laughs> so I have to go with the flow. It's heavy. It is heavy. I know for myself, since I was little, I've always been one that I guess I didn't realize it at the time. I wish I would have known that maybe I was carrying the weight of the world unconsciously. Well, unfortunately, I'm carrying it consciously. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's hard enough with very serious, just everyday life. And yeah, obviously, the changes we're going through in so many ways in society and the climate, just on that level alone, it's almost. Yeah. Uh, you know, beyond people's coping ability, and arguably it might be, sadly. But for me, it's the world. When I trace back the dots, I can see experiences and choices I made mm -hmm. when I was a young child that you could argue now that, you know, it, it connects in terms of a path. Yeah. One of the things that I thought about, do you know the book, The Boy's Life by Robert R. McCammon? No, I don't. Or the author. Okay, I'm going to read this to you then, because it reminded okay. me of you. Okay. Right, Already? What <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, you know? <laughs> I had to, because it was such a calling for me to read this mm -hmm. to you. So I wanted to set my memories down on paper where I can hold them. You know, I do believe in magic. I was born and raised in a magic time in a magic town among magicians. Almost everybody else didn't realize that we lived in that web of magic connected by silver filaments of chance and circumstance. But I knew it all along. The world was my magic lantern. And by its green spirit glow, I saw the past, the present, and into the future. You probably did too. You just don't recall it. See, this is my opinion. We all start out knowing magic. We are born with whirlwinds, forest fires, and comets all inside of us. 
We are born able to sing to birds and read clouds and see our destiny in the grains of sand. But then we get the magic educated right out of our souls. We get it churched out, spanked out, washed out, cooned out. We get it put on the straight and narrow and told to be responsible, told to act our age, told to grow up for God's sake. And, you know, we were told that because the people who were doing the telling were afraid of their own wildness in youth. And because the magic we knew made them ashamed and sad of what they had allowed to wither within themselves. I'm sorry. It gets me emotional. Thank you. But got me crying too. Yeah, you've got a resonant chord there. Um, as we talk, because I want to keep my composure so it's meaningful and not a distraction. But this is very powerful stuff for me. Yeah. Does that remind you of yourself when I read that to you? It caused me to tear. <laughs> Yeah, what I do know of you and what I have listened to. And I think that it reminds a lot of people of themselves. You know, that's one of the really nice things I've heard from some readers just spontaneously that remind them of things from their childhood, how, how they experienced and thought of the world. They didn't say it in a way like, oh, it just brought back a childish memory, but no, the opposite way. <laughs> like it brought it back to life, mm -hmm. to being more relevant being important to you know to live in and work with so that was that was really something i enjoyed hearing from people yeah i um, love to just watch kids right and just see how free they are they don't doubt their experiences they don't question their experiences they're just free to be in awareness and present yeah, well bible tells us that right you must be as a child again tend to the kingdom of heaven or in zen you know, beginner's yeah. mind, Zen mind. What were you like a, as a child? What was I? <laughs> were you a magician? <laughs> well, you know, I was saying to you as we were starting up today about connecting dots, you know, realizing in hindsight, there were things I was playing with that normal kids don't do. <laughs> and my parents didn't know about, or if they did, they did not, you know, sanction such or encourage it. So I didn't grow up with magicians in that sense. Although, you know, there were experiences at times with people that I can't frame in, in words that connection. Like for you and I, I know, like, we're not working at this. <laughs> it's just natural. So, really, again, thank you for this. I also want to, if I can, in our discussion, you can ask me anything, and I mean that. And just from what you felt called to share with me, <laughs> you get me. But what I want for people, it's for them to understand the teachings. It's not about me. In fact, it's really hard to have time these days for me. Uh, I mean, extra time. But I'm already working with another book, and this one's on controlling the ego, uh, because I think that's what's screwing everything up on so many levels, on so many levels. So it's going to be very practical. But again, so you can ask me anything, and I still mean that. But I want them to take back a different understanding of reality. Hopefully, in good part from what we actually discuss and share, maybe for some in the book. I don't know if you know this, or I've shared this with you, by the way, to show you the level that's being called now is not my choice. So, as you may or may not know, I'm just shy of 77 in a few more weeks. You know, arguably, I should be retired or into, you know, a comfortable <laughs> semi-retirement. 
because of something I experienced, which I guess we'll get into if you want to, because that's maybe a good one, how I finally understood how reality works. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line. And in a way that I can explain to others, which I do in the book and in my podcasts, because it has spiritual context you'd appreciate was so a, sort of a revelation of sorts. People in the more scientific frame might call it an insight. <laughs> in any case, it was very, very powerful and everything changed, you know, after that. But again, the bottom line from what I'm really trying to convey to people is that we're working with literally the wrong model of reality. People, all of us. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're in this mess. Because our understanding how the universe works. Now, I've been studying the Gnostic Gospels for a long time now. So I've been deep into mm -hmm. spiritual text and ancient text and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. One of the, the two things that really were coming up for me that have really sank in is one you know, in the garden starts in the garden, you know, the story of, of Adam and Eve and, and choosing to do eat from the, the tree of knowledge. Yeah, and you know what? It's, it's in my chapter one. Is it? There you go. Perfect. And then the other thing is I decided to pick up Plato's book. <laughs> you know, what also is in chapter oh, one, Plato's Republic, the allegory of the cave. This, this I only wrote here. two notes and they're right here. One's that and the other's that. So, um, you know, when we realize wow. we have a knowing and a realization <laughs> of who we are and where we are, right, mm -hmm. has really been the theme of my year so far. This is something, and I'm glad that you wrote a book to teach this. That's mm -hmm. what I find remarkable because it can be a very, very long journey to discovering this because we have so much to shed. So your second book is even better. <laughs> Because it is the ego that gets in the way. And it's critically needed, but my, I'm so consumed with what I'm doing. And um, as I said, I do have a tendency at times just to go perhaps off too laterally or too, you know, in detail or, or repeat. So feel comfortable to rein me in because I'm not a linear thinker. I'm, I'm a non-linear thinker. <laughs> um, well, I'm a seeker, but, so I'm seeking information. So I'll listen. Well, <laughs> it, it's obviously you're blowing my mind too, which is the resonances, you know, that you're sharing with me that so connect and when you ever look at chapter one which i still need you to read the book as a book and by the way as an aside because you may not know this it's also as an audio book but not narrated by by me okay and many people you know have given me a comment over the years to have a pleasant voice and you know so do it i did not want to do it because i didn't want it to seem like it's about me mm. and the message which you appreciate my understanding and advice going forward to more wisely deal with their challenges and opportunities is more a feminine message than a masculine message. Mm -hmm. I also didn't want it to be so sort of culturally confined to, you know, I'm in Canada, North America. So I sought out someone who would give a different frame of reference to broaden, hopefully, the appreciation and the awareness in the public, because this is where the world it's global. I call it a global wake-up call. I mean it that way. So I chose a British woman, professional voice artist, former BBC-trained news announcer. For some reason, British came to mind. And I wanted someone who could speak authoritatively, because it's a serious subject, but in a comfortable way to listen to. Not robotics, you know, the AI versions that are... So at first, actually, my advertisement, because I put a sort of a, an addition call to the world, was for a male. But the second or third reply and sample, it came from about 60 people, 
was from a, a woman who was this this woman I eventually you know took on and I listened to her audition piece and I really liked it and I told her at the time I actually I had you know uh, advertised I was looking for a male announcer however I was really impressed by your treatment and I will keep you in mind and I had about 60 other males wow. of you know different ages and maybe even cultural backgrounds audition and I kept thinking oh she's got the voice so that was a very interesting for me and then they also have connected with it is a feminine message yeah it is mm -hmm. so it's funny you know the the circuit is root but one other thing to share with you back to the call of this because even that was just sort of coming to me it wasn't it was contrary to actually what my thinking mind was planning because I felt such an urgency on this once I had that experience as I said to you that gave me that revelation of how things work then I felt almost immediately the call that I have to speak out and share. I had already an awareness of certainly um, the imminence of global climate change. I already had an awareness that we had extensive chemical pollution throughout the planet. I already had an awareness that it was causing some genetic changes in various species, including the human species. So I knew that because I'm just generally aware, not just a doctor, but I read a lot in general science as well. But there was another element to it. It was more like precognition, premonition, foreseeing. And it's still happening, and it's pretty horrific. And it's it's all just happening as I envision it. It's, uh, again, so uninvited. And again, apologize if I lose composure here. It is getting more powerful because the signs of this are becoming so much more obvious. Anyway, I felt an urgency to write this down. It was partly like a channeled experience because there were certain ways of phrasing things, examples, metaphors that I'd never thought of before. So that even when I subsequently look at my own book or listen to the narrated audiobook version, <laughs> did that come from me? It's weird. Nice, but you know, weird. And plus, kind of the personality of me, the voice, the teacher that comes through, is so different from my first book, which was a half century ago, Inner Spaces, Parapsychological Explorations of the Mind. That was an academic voice. Mm -hmm. This is you know, more from the heart. I knew of some publishers that are in the genre, let's go out, New Age, self-help. I reached out to them directly, not through agents. I was going for expediency, but in a reputable you know, way as well. And I was told kindly that even if they approved my manuscript, because I asked them this question up front, how long would it take from submitting my manuscript till you have it out to the public. They said two to three years, best case. Now, as you may or not know, when you submit a manuscript, even if there's interest, they still often send it back with questions and revisions. Oh, can you give us another sample chapter or rewrite the intro? You know, some things like that. And then they may accept it. And then it goes into their production schedule. And I realized, no, there, we don't have time. So I started exploring, I knew nothing about it, the self-publishing space. And I, found a company that I thought seemed reputable of what they're really doing, uh, not by customer reviews, but like actual examples I heard of some of their online presentations and some of the blog write-ups and so on. They seem to know what they're doing. So I, I hired them on to help me with the hardware aspect of it and getting it online. And I asked them how long it would take, and they said a year, which was much better than two or three years after the manuscript's accepted. Uh, in this case, it's not from start, you know, one year. I, and I said, that's not good enough. We have to do better. 
And they said, well, if you do everything like exactly as fast as we can process it at our end, you know, hopefully we can, you know, knock that down a couple of months. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, we have to do better. From the day I started the official manuscript to the day it was online and Amazon was five months. And I typed the whole manuscript myself with one finger. <laughs> that one. And no choice. I, I mean, it seems like the younger generation aren't the ones who need it as much because they already have this higher consciousness more naturally. One of the people I also start off with in the beginning is, is Greta Thunberg. Wow. In my chapter. You know, I have kids from two different generations. Hmm. And the younger generation, I'm like, where did you come from? They're teaching me. You know, if, if Dolores Cannon's theory of her three waves and a time where we would need this assistance, do you believe in that kind of theory of star-seeded help of... A consciousness from maybe the oh. future or from another place. You know, it's part of my teaching, right? And my understanding of how reality works. The reality I speak of is the most fundamental and absolute of all realities. And when you start talking about the possibility of other alien worlds, whether they seeded us in some way or not, either in a physical sense or otherwise played with our DNA or whatever. That still doesn't go back to but what's the ground of it all? So that's where I'm at. So many people go off on tangents. The spirit guides, nature spirits too, for some people, literally, as you mean, like with Findhorn up in Scotland. And then there's all these very complex systems, whether it's working with your chakras or in the Kabbalistic thing with all that formulaic, you know, thinking. The weird part about what I've come to understand, it's both so much simpler and more profound than all of those things. But if we can understand why we're here, yes. why we're in this mess, and you understand why, then you also start learning about how we mm -hmm. change it. And in my book, I give not just, uh, how should I say, intellectually conceptual uh, explanation or instructions, I give detailed ones. Mm -hmm. How to take back control, how to get back on track, how to get back into balance, how to get back into connection. You know, a lot of people have found my book Amazingly information dense, like nothing they've ever seen before. Aside from it being so provocative, <laughs> it is obviously saying we're living the wrong model reality. There, there's so many, you know, you gave me a couple of things, as you, you mentioned, interesting enough, points, you know, again, a convergent, you know, Greta, the Plato's Republic. <laughs> there's yeah. so much in there. I don't know if you realize this is a short book. I don't remember exactly how many it is, 120 or, or 30 pages. Not because, you know, I didn't have the time and I'm rushing out. People are so distracted right now uh, for various reasons. Um, some, it's they're in denial and don't want to deal with everything, like heads in the sand. Mm -hmm. Some uh, are just oversaturated, overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And some are just, their minds are caught up in these smart modes, make them dumb people <laughs> as they almost get smarter. Conspiracy theories and, and, and all that stuff. So I wanted to, you know, chunk it down in a way that would be much more digestible. Well, it has 10 chapters, but they're all, they're all short chapters. They're all with, from my point of view, powerful and meaningful titles, not just something that's entertaining. For example, the title of my first chapter, as you may or may not know, is that the title is Things are not as they seem. So in the very first chapter, I deconstruct reality. 
right out of the gate. And then the second chapter, which gets to my point about the core of all this, is the only thing you can absolutely know. That's the title of it. The only thing, the only thing you can absolutely know. Mm. That's powerful. And then at the end, I, I give again, back to meditation. There's a lot of confusion out there, as you well may know, with meditation. I don't mean in terms of just simply different techniques and gurus and so on. I mean, even people's understanding of what it's like to really work with meditation, of what to like expect. So, so many of my patients who start out, as you would imagine, get frustrated right away. You know, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. And I say, well, it's the nature of our mind to be busy, monkey mind. Mm-hmm. What you can learn is to not be so caught up in all that drama. It's not that you quiet your mind as in and nothing's there. <laughs> yeah. That's not the nature of the mind. We have to have something in a sense to have a mind, to have awareness, which again, I get into my book. But I, I try to, to teach people about the inner resources we all have, and all of us without exception, where we have different levels of awareness that there may be something else there and different levels of ability to connect with it, let alone be a portal for it. But we all have, a, I, I call it, as in the book, amphibious things. Amphibians like frogs and salamanders, they can live on land or water mm-hmm. in two like dimensions. I use that symbolically. And I, so right now you and I are in this so-called physical and academically, I call this consensual reality. This is uh, what Shakespeare calls, we're all players on the stage <laughs> at this level. And this goes back to, to one of the key things I've written in my book. Everything comes from imagination. Everything. So anything we can imagine, anything we can have, create, find. So aliens, you can find them. Multiverses, well, parallel universes, you can find them. Time travel, you can find it. Careful what you invite into your life, though. <laughs> you know, you play with these like the Ouija board and so on. Like. You know, with today's technology, we've advanced to this place that actually has really put us back. Because when I think about how the Native Americans saw the world, it was not that long ago either. So in a very short amount of time, and I I mean, I, I have to blame technology, really. Yes. We've advanced technology. And when I would go back to trying to understand the world I was reading within the Gnostic Gospels, mm-hmm. I was like, I felt like in some way they were more advanced. And so here I was time traveling in my mind and my imagination going back. I was surprised. It was a world I hadn't seen before. And I was like, they knew, they they knew this and we don't know this. (laughs) Well, back when I said smarter phones, dumber people, you know? (laughs) Um, So first of all, I look at our Bible as being in code. Mm. And one of the things I have, I think I've done in my book too, is decoded the Bible. There's much disagreement, as you may or may not know, about what is the Bible. <laughs> so not only is, for example, the Catholic Bible different than, as you may know, the Protestant Bible or the Mormon Bible and so on and so on, but yeah. it may shock you to know that within Christianity alone, there are over 40,000 denominations in the world mm-hmm. of just Christianity let alone all the other religions and, and the different types of, you know, sex and variations in other religions. 
so not only have we forgotten what was once known, there's been also a corruption to make us believe in the wrong things about what was known mm. and encourage the wrong practices for once was known in a wiser way. I go back and I look at what is in common to all of the major religions, what's in common to the indigenous teachings in different parts of the world geographically. And, and what is in common, in a sense, is what kind of rings through a signal, and the rest is like noise, you know, corruption, distortion. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean in part by decoding it, because then it correlates, once you understand the Bible, and I quote a number of uh, very powerful New Testament quotations, to explain how it so connects. It's not in any way um, antithetical as with some other things, science and religion, you know, are like polar opposites or hostile as they regard each other. It's not like that. No, the opposite. But science infused, not contradicted. Now, coming back to the other part of it, like, as you said, we're kind of in a mess now. Yes. And you blame technology. You're correct. The population of our world here has no idea the monster they have allowed to be unleashed in just the last several months with AI, almost suicidal mistake that humankind has allowed, the way they've allowed it. I don't want to go too much into that, but if we just take the other aspects of it, why are we having global climate change if we understand it? Why is our environment so poisoned with chemicals and even microplastics now everywhere in the world, including in the Arctic? Why is the sperm count of men around the world going down? Meaning the ability of the human species to reproduce itself in the world overpopulated, maybe in jeopardy. That can't be taken for granted. Why are we having so much societal breakdown? Why within even what we considered educated, progressive, stable countries like the United States, why is it so fractionated now, vulnerable? Right. Why is it so scary as opposed to feeling secure? What happened to the good times? What happened to the future is better and better? The Russian war, that level of aggression. For no obvious good reason that most of us can understand beyond someone's personal ambition. If you want to think in typical terms, which I don't, but of, you know, a devil, Satan. A very interesting and powerful weapon to sort of disrupt all of the good in humanity would be developing something like this, smartphones. Because we are more and more connected, but disconnected. Yes. With some very special exceptions, like we're able to enjoy now, fortunately. But for many people, no, it's just distraction. You're out of reality. You're out of the here and now. It's very superficial. It's often not even authentic, close to it. You're purposely putting in doctored photographs. You're purposely putting in false news about your updates. I can buy likes. I can buy, you know, mm-hmm. people to post, and I, I won't do that. But yeah. those things exist because some people, unfortunately, do that, and you just don't know. Even reviews, as you know, can be faked. So there's so much distortion out there, and so many people have no idea that they're, they're totally captured by it. People think social media is free. It's not free. It costs your attention. But broadly, we have been, as we've forgotten the religious teachings. And as we're becoming more distracted and enamored, addicted to working with the world in a more material way and increasing levels of sophistication of 
being able to control and modify things in a material way as the so-called alchemists of you know of old but with no understanding of the implications the consequences of what we're doing and not even generally being concerned about it as opposed to the indigenous teaching here in north america called the law of seven generations which was to think out in advance as best they were able to but to purposely do this as a process what might the impact be of some of these changes we're considering making for our tribe if we move our camping grounds if we go to war with this neighboring tribe if we relocate whatever change what we're seeking to you know feed on whatever the reasons might be but they would think it out how do we think it will affect the children of our children and their children and their children and we do the opposite we're into short-term thinking you know expediency it's kind of we're driven mostly by fear and greed as, as i unfortunately see people and as we get more into fears people are fear is blinding they're even less able to see more clearly what needs to be seen and changed and quickly so we live live in a fear-based society fear and greed there's there's almost still you know those two strong things for a lot of people whether they recognize it or not still greed drives a lot of their decisions you know, I looked, I look around my neighborhood. I live in a suburban area in Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I mean, it's what everyone would have ideal to raise mm-hmm. a family. And then just like, we're all like, what are we doing? We're all running around with our heads cut off to keep up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. And we live in these cookie cutter homes that we're all struggling to pay for. And our kids are living the dreams of of society, conditions of the world. And we're all stressed out. We don't even remember half the things we did in a day because we're just like running, running, running. That lifestyle caught up with me. It turned into pain. It turned Mm -hmm. into mental illness and Mm -hmm. consciousness. Are you kidding me? To be able to be present and even just have a conversation where I'm listening to you instead of thinking about what I'm going to say next is something I had to retrain my brain to do. And it took me like a decade. But you did it. (laughs) But it's much of the world. It's almost like I speak a different language than a lot of people. I know. And that's right away. You saw some emotionalism in me too. because. This is so important, and it's so hard to get people's proper attention. Again, I should be retired, as I say, or semi-retired. I'm not. So this has been very costly financially for me, too. The money I had to put into producing it the way it is right now, and the time I'm devoting to it where I have no income. And I have a second book back on Ego. I want to get out, <laughs> too. But as exhausting as it is, uh, I think if I end up being the only voice, and I pray I'm not, I have to still do what I do, and a spark can ignite a fire. And you know, we don't want too many fires out there right now. I mean, that's not a good metaphor, or maybe I should say, a lighted candle can light the way in the darkness. Maybe it's a better one. <laughs> a lantern covered light. <laughs> but it it is a real challenge, uh, even helping people become self aware. Yeah, that they're not aware. You know, I, I say that to my patients that one of the 
things to strive for in stress management, personal stress management, I think you'll like this, is for your mind and body to be in the same space at the same time. Mm. That's on this level, all right? But again, mind and body in the same space at the same time. Another way of saying, you know, in the here and now, but maybe a little more, you know, tangible to keep in mind that way. Yeah. It's, and you know what? That is presence, right? That is presence. It's presence on this level. On this level. And and then if, our, if we're on that level, we're also going to be calmer, you know, because we're not carrying stuff that other people carry. We're depressed or angry. <laughs> and we're not carrying the overwhelming anxiety, thinking catastrophically. And we're not overwhelmingly influenced by, by peers or, or social media. So it's not just a calmer state. Thinking is clearer. And when thinking is clearer, in a sense, and when we're less in our own way in terms of ego, you know, it's a neutral at this point, then we're potentially more open to access our inner intuition. Put it in more tangible terms, wisdom of the heart. Mm-hmm. I explain in my book, and I hope it makes sense when I talk to you about this plane of reality and another level, the ultimate level. I mean, they are very real. As I used the expression before, we're amphibious beings. We can exist in either and both dimensions, in and out, so to speak. For some, it doesn't seem like choice. Some of us have learned it can be choice. And that's, again, part of my teaching, you know, for others to learn. So it's not just understanding. It's actually me able to experience and work with it right away. If we become aware, mm-hmm. from there, what's the next step after that? Dream it and do it. What's yes. the do it part? Okay. So everything I said earlier, without exception, everything comes from imagination. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make it scary right away where people are thinking, oh, it's all my imagination, nothing else is real. I'm not, I'm not speaking to that level just yet. Okay, so all our technologies you were talking about, all right, and even at a more basic level, just machines, if you want to, you know, go back to something that wasn't so high tech, which was still industrialization, though. All those things, airplane, the bicycle, pharmaceutical drugs, iPhone, computers, <laughs> internet, mm-hmm. all of that came from imagination initially, all of it. And in the book, I actually show an example of some of the most famous inventors of our modern era, mm-hmm. even shared openly mm-hmm. that we come through through dream or mm-hmm. through psychedelic chemicals. Mm-hmm. It wasn't by doing extensive laboratory experiments. Even Einstein, genius that he was, Tesla. He, be- he began, yeah, and Einstein, though, began at 16, imagining riding on a beam of light. That's where it started. Where he learned about mathematics and physics. And yes, Tesla had a deep interest, as you may know, in the Vedas and the ancient you know, uh, teachings of India, the sages, and we had a phenomenally vivid imagination. Mm-hmm. He could not only imagine inventing some device, he could imagine constructing it in his mind, running it mm-hmm. like a simulation to see how it would operate, and then decide, you know, to refine, proceed or not. Yeah. Most people don't know this stuff. That's not how science, you know, was taught. So mm-hmm. if it all comes from imagination, go back to the how and why. Well, why is it all coming from imagination? And how? 
is an outcome of imagination. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, the, like the imagination, like the like common imagination. Yeah, that's what we're getting to. It's not just our level of it, you know, where we're individual egos, personalities, characters on the stage. <laughs> um, so at the deeper level, and this does relate to your question, if I can stay on track, we have what we, someone call, if you want, God consciousness. In the book, I use the term universal mind. I'm increasingly more comfortable with the word just source, capitalized, the source, our source. The source is pure consciousness. So our sense of God being all-knowing, all-powerful, that's sort of what it means too, in being the source of all. But it's both more simple and more complicated. You can't have consciousness, you can't have awareness without something to be aware of. So it's not like God, out of the generosity of you know, goodwill, heart, altruism, created us just to share and let us experience what we experience. No, wasn't that selfless, so to speak. <laughs> no. And I don't want to share what I'll use the word source more than God because it has so many different connotations to it. And I, I mean, really respectful. And the book is deeply respectful, religious texts. So again, for consciousness to be conscious, for awareness to be aware, you have to have something to be aware of. When we are bored as humans, come back to a more simple level for a minute, and we have nothing particularly to do with the moment, when we have to wait, we're in a waiting room for something or whatever, or waiting for a program to come on, you know, line on screen, whatever it might be, or waiting you know, to clear a line at the airport. <laughs> but when we're waiting, again, we're often, as I said, not present, usually not. And some of it, yeah, we're caught up in the news and again, our fear and our greed. But also we daydream partly sort of intentionally because we're bored. So the source consciousness both needs, as I said, something to be aware of. And sort of speak, I want to overuse a human term. It's sort of bored. So it, it needs to dream up not just something else to be aware of, but with some unpredictability, some randomness. So I don't think, for example, people's belief in, in fate and karma is correct. I mean, if you believe that way, you can make it happen to yourself, so to speak, correct yeah. imagination. But do I really, really believe it is correct that it is a, an enlightening and helpful notion? No, I think it's wrong and somewhat backward in that regard. Okay, so in a sense, our whole existence, ourselves, the other people we're aware of in the world, the animals, the plants, uh, the inanimate parts of nature, you know, the sky, the sun, the moon, all of this mm-hmm. is dreamed up by source, by God consciousness, all of it. And that, going back to, to Shakespeare's uh, expression, we're all but players on the stage. So there's a truth to that. However, when you understand how reality works, which I'm teaching in this book, you can improvise. You're not stuck in that same play in that same role. Mm-hmm. Back to your question now. Of the doing. <laughs> okay. So if this is all in some ways an incredibly complex dream existence, and yet reality is a dream. So it's not like this is just a dream, you know, and we'll wake up and have reality. No, the, the deeper reality is a dream. And it's multi level, multi dimensional. 
And just like with water, for example, those of us who've had the experience of swimming and perhaps trying to swim underwater and, and perhaps being comfortable swimming underwater without wearing goggles or, you know, snorkel gear and just experiencing like nature for a while with eyes open, if we, you know, have been blessed with that opportunity, some of us, um, it's almost like that that you can do in your mind. You you can dive into a deeper level without special protection or drugs. Because mm-hmm. it's always there. We're used to living on the surface. And the model I try to explain of reality in part is that to explain how we can have these two levels and be amphibious beings is the model or metaphor of the waves of an ocean. If I took a photograph of an ocean, and there's a fixed still photograph, and if I blew it out, I could point out if I was talking to someone uh, this wave as opposed to that wave, and, and we could agree that one of these waves is much higher than some of the other ones, and some are more narrow, some are more wide, perhaps. But if it's not just a fixed photograph, if it's a video or real time and we're at the ocean, the waves come and go, it ebbs and flows. So at a certain point of time and a way of looking at it in an isolated way, it seems that these waves at the top are separate from each other. And you can say, yeah, they are, and I can see it. But if you have the more expanded view beyond just the tips of the waves, you see they all come from the same source, the same root, the same source. Now tying this into to the Bible, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, but the Father is greater than I, it seems illogical. How can both be true? Well, if Jesus is a big wave, I mean, one with the ocean source, but the whole source, the whole ocean, is still larger than the one wave. Jesus also said, these things I do, you shall do too. We all have that ability. Back to your question on the doing. So one of the things I also teach explicitly in the book in terms of instructions are the tech, both the, the phenomena and the techniques for lucid dreaming, sometimes called dream programming. For most of us, dreams are things we just experience spontaneously, sometimes unpleasant, sometimes perhaps even extremely unpleasant nightmares, which children have to deal with usually more than adults do, but even adults still have them, sleep terrors, sleep paralysis. There are adults who have those experiences. And sometimes they're fanciful, just things, excursion in our mind, so to speak. But they're usually just things that just happen, even though they're based at some point on past experience, something we just read, something we just watched. But it's not something we produce on demand, is my point. Mm. And so most of us think that's how it has to be. Like You just can't control your dreams. And the official teaching is that you can't. They are spontaneous. There's argument about is is just random stuff that goes on as the brain is metabolizing and adjusting, or is it like Freudian stuff? No, it's really symbolic and you know deeply meaningful in that way. But in lucid dreaming, by contrast, you are able to intentionally modify, change, choose your dream and how you dream, mm-hmm. and you can do things that otherwise you could not do. There are cultures like the Sonoya Malaysia and the ancient Aboriginal culture of Australia, which still exists. And in Australia, they, they, the Aboriginals refer to it as the dream time. 
And to them, there's other dimension in a sense where you're really aware you're in the dream and working with the dream, not just, you know, experiencing it, doing, <laughs> uh, having a sense of agency. Um, they call this dream time more real. And they are right. Back to what you said before, you know, when you look back at some of the older teachings, it seems they understood better mm-hmm. how reality works, our place in it, how to live the good life or, or a good life. And we lost that. And work together. Yeah. Together. And that's why I also, I mean, you know, I just gave you some examples within the Bible of how it's so converges, misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. But I could do that too with the Vedas of right. India, with you well, know, yeah, the, 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 the Buddhist texts, mm-hmm. um, the indigenous teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. You know, I have to ask you, Howard, because, you know, dreaming is like my big thing. I mean, because, and I always wonder, just, I definitely have a good imagination. Someone had said to me, I don't know where I heard this, that like there's, it's actually a shocking, like only maybe like 30% of people can actually see what they're thinking. Yes, visualize, right. Well, I don't know if it's 30%, but it's true. Not everybody can visualize. Yeah. I think it's much higher than 30, though. I, uh, I was shocked, you know, and even hearing that, it, you know, because I've, I've, I'm very visual, you know, mm-hmm. and my dreams are very visual. I am too. And I, some of the things that have happened in my dreams, one, I wake up sometimes, I don't know which is reality at first. Yeah. Like. Or which to choose. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I actually had this one where I woke up twice and I felt that in between was a break and then I had to go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also <laughs> I'm taught things sometimes in my dreams that. Shanna doesn't know those things. Yeah. And so where are they coming from? It source, has to be source. source. Well, like, like that, okay, that goes back to, stuff. you know, something so I, I shared again on the real source, for example, to what even getting spiritual about it, of all the major scientific inventions, yes. going back to Tesla, Tesla, as you mentioned correctly, as we get an example of this, um, it didn't come from them. No. They opened their minds. They allowed a connection to come through, like, you know, if you want, turning on the internet, <laughs> you know, the shoot in. That's what was happening. The, the most fundamental inventions were, you know, documented to have occurred that way. Um, there's something called the periodic table of elements, which basically is our understanding of the whole chemistry of everything, like, like how, how everything's built in the atomic level, so to speak. Um, and the understanding of that arrangement yeah. um, and interrelationships of different elements, it came to the person who developed this, Mendeleev, as a dream. He tried figuring it out. He agonized to try and work it out. He could not. Yeah. And he gave up and had a dream. And in his dream, it was just there, like a revelation. It did not come from him. And he doesn't claim it did, to his credit. So I always say this because... I think it's funny because some mm-hmm. of the things that I've received and then I'll find out, whoa, like this is a real thing. Like they wrote about this in ancient text and I had a dream about this, yeah. you know, something like that. And then I'm like, this is so strange. I mean, I'm nobody. Well, and I say that I'm nobody special, but I know that I'm special. But, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a mother in a suburban area, you know, podcasting from her room. You know, I'm not a scientist or no, but but you are in a skin suit doing an earth walk. Yeah. But, you know, it was just, it seemed <laughs> to me that, you know, back when, 
you know, they sainted people for the things that maybe all of us should be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what we should be doing, come back to us, or expression, it's not even so complicated. No. I mean, to begin with, it, it's recognizing our connection with each other and everything. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be competing mercilessly, let alone purposely wanting to hurt others. We're not going to rape our environment. Um, everything would change just from that alone. That's that recognition. We all really are ultimately connected and one. And the reason it's such a mess is because we're so distracted away from that truer reality. Do you think intentionally we've been distracted? I mean, it kind of seems like the church had power. Now the church loses power, and now we have technology that's gaining power. Yeah, I, I call, um, you know, what may call modern science and technology, scientism. Yeah, that is a religion. I so agree. one religion replaced another religion, based ultimately just on belief, unquestioned belief. Because if people, for example, do research as parapsychologists do in psychic phenomena, as I have in my past many years ago, and my first book was on that subject of parapsychology and psychic phenomena explicitly, they're usually ridiculed by the mainstream scientists, you know, as being into pseudoscience, or they're being naive and fooled by trickster charlatans. Such a, you know, a rejection, and therefore there's a lot of fear of people to publicly admit, let alone publish a book or uh, do research on it, even publicly admit socially at times in the meetings, that they have an interest and they do find this, you know, something of valid interest. Many have approached me once I'm my next, so, you know, stuck out there, um, but wouldn't do it themselves. Mm. And I understand, again, back to the fear thing. Um, but there's, there's, you know, I, I try to look intentionally back to the doing uh, on this level for, you know, flickers, signs of good things in such darkness that we have right now around us and increasing, sadly. And there are people who previously didn't have any particular interest in even reflecting on questions like I also put out in you know the introduction of my book, like, what is reality? Why am I here? What's it all about? Many of us never ever think of those, and we're all discouraged, both from a religious point of view and scientifically, even entertains such questions I mean, maybe psychiatrically you know don't question it just you know fall step um but i think there are people in, in just different areas because of the internet and since the pandemic one good thing has come out of it everything has mixed you know aspects to it that a lot of people are online and connecting online all over the world that please you would not have uh to counter in part the societal trend, unfortunately, again, as we see in the United States, but many other places as well, um, divisiveness and, you know, separateness. I mean, even, for example, the UK pulling out of the European Union is not only, you know, uh, in America, uh, sadly. Um, so that, and, and even the, you know, the increased uh, incidence of racism and, and prejudice um, and understanding violence. Um, just all different signs, you know, a, a breakdown because of disconnection. So again, if people just have that fundamental understanding, not on faith, and I try to explain in such a way that it will not be on faith, but they'll understand. Plus, I also teach some of the ways you can experience it. And let's go back to some of the simpler ways. 
So for first of all, uh, for us human beings on this level, on this stage, what are some ways we can get out of this kind of distraction trance state? Look each other in the eyes. Mm. You know the old poetical saying, the eyes are the windows of the soul. Something to it. You know, I could say again, as I have to distinguish different, for me, different levels of reality. So in this, again, familiar, consensual level, physical levels we're talking right now, the back of the eye tissue, the retinal tissue, actually is brain tissue. So in a way, <laughs> neurologically, you could partly argue, well, the brain is kind of closer to, you know, the eye. Um, but I don't think the brain is at all the source of consciousness. And that's a whole other, you know, discussion if you want to have it. Mm-hmm. It's more like it's dreamt up by consciousness. Mm-hmm. So it's a relationship, but but not cause and effect of people thinking it would be the other way around. Well, if it, fact, if it was, I wouldn't be retraining it for the past 10 years. <laughs> well, there is neuroplasticity. So we play with that level, you know, that um, just like computer programs can be modified. Yeah. So can the wiring, in a sense, the connections of the brain cells, neurons, be modified. We call it neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. So even if you bought into that model, that still could be possible. But there's other things you know you do. <laughs> you know what? I always tell my kids because, you know, I, I've struggled with ADHD, especially because I'm so busy, right? <laughs> I probably have it. <laughs> multitasker. <laughs> I'm the half-ass multitasker. Mm-hmm. But whenever my kids are like, oh, you didn't hear me or I told you this. So we just kind of made a deal. If you have something important to say to me, mm-hmm. you need to come make sure that we have eyes. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, I hear you. Yeah. And then if we have eye contact too, and if we are communicating with someone, you know, it's just a smile. People used to do that to strangers. Sometimes, you know, you'd pass them by, you know, or nod your head. You don't say that so much anymore to strangers, right? Oh, you're so um, right. Um, and as we get more and more mechanized with, you know, automatic checkouts and all these things and ordering online, we're, we're, we're removing humanity even without the AI part, which again is a whole other level of disaster that has not been planned for in terms of thought out what its implications are and how to deal with it. So we're being uh, less human. Yeah. And it's so true. Come back to the positive because only my, my, my teachings are positive. Ultimately, I mean, I am waking people up to the reality of the horrors. Of the mess we're in right now, yeah. understanding why, but also to get out of it, back to the doing, which I very much honor that aspect of it. So, the eye, I say, contact when you're out and about is one of the most immediate things you can do to start helping us connect again mm-hmm. and try to have. I explained in my book about soft eyes versus hard eyes. Mm-hmm. Try to have open eyes. Mm-hmm. Try not to be so afraid that someone may look at you and turn the wrong way. And you'll draw attention, you know, that's unwanted for whatever reason. You were mentioning how you've learned so much from your own children. When we're out and about and you see maybe babies in a baby carriage or a stroller, let's say as pedestrians on, you know, walking by, babies will often instinctively look mm-hmm. towards the eyes of strangers and sometimes smile. Mm-hmm. And some strangers, it's really funny if you did like a can of camera thing of this. Will be looking and noticing the baby's eyes, will enjoy it and smile and turn or even smile first. And they have this like contact. <laughs> I love those moments. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of people who'd be like afraid of that. Like, you know, it's awkward. Mm. But if we got more comfortable and realize it connects us on a soul, spiritual level, not just physically. And if I'm going to come back now to the conventional levels, I call it. 
we've been taught that the head ring is a source of consciousness, which again, it does not. And I explain in my book why it is not. There's not even a theory that it could explain how it could be, by the way, when you really look at it. Like it's so not the source of our consciousness, of our mind, but still playing with the physical level. We actually have three brains. And science only, currently medical science, and the public as they know it in the West, only recognize one brain, the head brain. We also have a heart brain. We also have a gut brain, the microbiome. But let me just come back to the heart brain because it relates to the doing. Unknown to most people, sadly unknown to most of my medical colleagues even, the heart brain has its own nervous system, has its own neurons, its own nerve cells, like the brain has, has its own memory system. The heart has more nerves that go up and control brain function, and the brain has nerves that go down to control and modify heart. The heart can also secrete the love hormone, oxytocin. The heart is like an intuitive channel to source. So we came more from the heart. If we had more good-hearted intentions, if we sought out warm-hearted people, if we sought to be warm-hearted, if we saw the wisdom of the golden rule, of course, do unto others you have and do unto you, because we're all connected. But even coming back again to the conventional level, we talk physiological and medical terms. The discoverer scientist of the concept of stress, Dr. Hans Selye, at the end of his life, came to the realization that one of the things that could best help us cope with stress, and these were less stressful times a few decades ago when things seemed normal, the old normal, <laughs> was to be more concerned considerate of the needs of others, what he called the altruistic ego. Here's the weird part of it, though. It seems counterintuitive. Like, if you're stressed out, it doesn't seem obvious to you at all, or even possible, that if you take on now the additional task, burden, responsibility, help out someone else in need, how that could possibly help you. But it does, because one is shifting your consciousness, is shifting your focus more into like being passively with what you're experiencing and feeling overweight or overwhelmed by and into the doing and empowering and you're helping someone else and that's also creating a connection yes. for both of you close to the source so it's not so complicated in a way you know like i mean the challenge for me is we live in such a distracted world people are so fearful people keep wondering if there's a hidden agenda you know like in my cases i clearly told you I still don't want this to be about me. I, I want to share my teachings. I'm, I want to explain them if they're hard to understand. And the book is not an easy read. I didn't design it for easy. I, I designed it to be accessible. I don't want it to be really accurate and comprehensive. And user-friendly in a way that I repeat that isn't just something that helps you understand, but gives them the tools. And right away. The tools. That's what we need. We would fill up our toolbox. My dad died at 64 with not one tool. And why did he die? Because he needed a new heart. He had so much stress and didn't ever have a tool. It's one of the reasons why I do the things I do. Mm -hmm. Good that you do. And those, you know, go back to choices we make in life. Some people's heart hardens when they lose someone, when or even a job or something just doesn't go well in their life, hardens them. Some get, even though they may really just get angry at God. Um, and it's still the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the Buddhist teaching comes in here, uh, the wisdom of non-attachment, letting go. 
you know, in mindset, I, I try and teach my patients both that it's a choice and the wisdom of choosing a cup half full mindset, what is it called, as a cup half empty one, or a can-do mindset, back to the doing. So I very much strongly believe in that. And it, although the concepts and examples I give in my book for some people starting from scratch, so to speak, mm-hmm. may seem woo-woo and pretty far out, almost all, as you might imagine, I've personally experienced. Mm-hmm. And so I know at two levels. I know it experience, uh, yeah, it's experientially and also intellectually. Mm-hmm. And I don't just know it. I've been able to work with it. Well, I know that we all can can reach that place. We become aware. You have to be aware first. Yes. So and, and that's you know I I playfully have signed my name off in a couple of emails with new people as just you know awakener. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, yeah. uh, and as you know, I, I've said in the blurb of the book, I, I've written it as a global wake up call, and, and I yeah. guess the main thing: wake up, God, wake up. Yeah, desperately. If we do, can we stop some of the things that we can stop the trajectory, which is hellish where we're going? And hell is not something, as some people thought biblically, you experience, you know, after you die, if you've been a bad person. No. <laughs> yeah. No, unfortunately, it, it can be in our so called present, and we're heading right in that direction very quickly. Uh, AI, I told you, is one of those. And accelerators beyond people's even imagination how much is it going to accelerate this in the wrong direction with the current way that people are working with it in fact it's also been let loose so anyone can unfortunately take advantage of it right now for the wrong reasons but the main challenge yes is the awareness and i think the timing is critical so if i'm able in terms of what i'm trying to do to wake up the world quickly what is quickly months i don't know that we have years I don't even know if we have months, but it's not a long time frame. I just stop this madness coming back to this delusion of separation. Get over that like right away. Uh, stop competing. Stop exploiting. Learn to cooperate. Choose leaders who are wise, who are not doing it for their ego, not for power, not for their fringe benefits. It's like servant leadership, going back to the Bible on Jesus. Uh, not having people work for you no you're a servant leader as a leader you're a servant of the people your job your role to do what's best for everyone else not for yourself it's the total opposite of the leaders that we have right now in so many ways in government um in arguably some religious institutions and in the academic institutions and in companies it's not aligned with what it could be aligned with. If we stopped this dependency on this illusion of controlling things and brought up and, and we're able to get out of the illusion that technology will solve all eventually, even global climate change or the you know climate issues we're having in terms of the air quality with the forest fires recently, that again is the wrong path. And if we stop doing that, and we look at things like regenerative agriculture. And we look at how can we cooperate in ways we've never explored before instead of compete. What can diversity of people from different cultures, different races, different age groups, what can they contribute to our broader consciousness and value? 
Greta Thunberg, if I understand correctly, who I have great appreciation and respect for, was supposedly on the spectrum, as it's sometimes put in more abstract terms. She did have a period when she got very depressed about the mess adults were making with the environment and the prospects for her when she would grow up and became apparently rather withdrawing and mute for a while. And then she found SARS. She found her voice, a voice that was heard around the world. She's not even, I mean, she's from Swedish. English isn't even her first language. She spoke in English. The world heard her. She mobilized millions of youth around the world to go into the streets. So when we have that realization that we tap into a different level, it's phenomenally empowering. And it can be quick, but we need that awareness, that awakening first. Once you're in that awareness and consciousness, you can't walk past someone and not care that they're on the street. You can't look at the smoke. I mean, I can barely see the Rocky Mountains right now, but you can't not see these things. You can't. Well, you know, for you or I, but not for many others, for example, I'm in the Toronto area up here in Canada, and just a couple weeks ago, we had the worst air quality in the entire world, the entire planet, from forest fires in northern Quebec and Ontario. Mm-hmm. We used to think of the forest as a wonderful nature resource, and I don't mean to cut down and get wood and you know, pulp paper and all that stuff. No, just beauty of nature and the rawness, land of the north and free and all of that. And suddenly, and we're told this is still at this juncture where we are now, the beginning of fire season. And I've heard meteorologists say, we never again on Earth will have a fire-free summer, ever again. But back to your question, if, if we make these changes quickly, we can both stop going in the wrong direction. And we're not just going in the wrong direction, we're hurtling way, way too fast in that direction. Yeah. And we can do things coming back even to things like forest fires. We can do controlled burns that the indigenous cultures used to know about and respect. We can do more wiseful irrigation. And for crops that are more nutritious, not vanity crops, or ones that are just very profitable currently to certain companies, we could change everything. We totally change the quality of the dream from being a nightmare. Can we imagine that? Say, Yes, I, I can. can. And I can. Some people have said to me, like, how can you do what you're doing? How could you, you know, possibly like write a book like that and do these podcasts and say what you say uh, when all this, you know, stuff is going on right. and you're a rare voice, you know, in the wind, so to speak. And I say, because I know from what I've learned, where everything comes into your imagination, if I can imagine this and I can, it's possible. And no one can tell me, I don't care what kind of scientist it is or how proficient the a philosophy expert they are in logical thinking. No one can tell me it's impossible. I'm not arguing a probabilities here in terms of how possible, but it's possible. You know, one of the metaphors I use in my book too, again, in that first chapter, it's a pretty loaded chapter, but I told you, there's an unusual amount of information in that book. There really is. It's not padded. It's quite the opposite. So one of the metaphors I use is, I learned this with my son when he was around 10 years old. He was in an extracurricular martial arts class, Taekwondo. And I would, you know, shuttle him to and from his class every week, but not be in the class watching him, as was true with most parents at the time, who had busy lives. Less busy than that, but busy life. <laughs> um, but then they had a, a certain point in their course of lessons 
where they were going to have a demonstration show for the parents. So I did go to that. And I didn't know in advance what they'd be doing. I imagine they'd be doing some so-called throws and flips. And, and they did some of that. But then they did something else, which really stuck with me all these years. And that's in that first chapter. Not because of my son, but because of the awareness from it. And what I want to share other people and understand this is powerful. They took a, a piece of wood. The instructor held it, you know, in each hand, solidly. And these kids, they're mostly again about my son's age, around 10, with their bare hands, were asked to strike the board once and break through it. Now, again, these were kids. They don't have strong hands. Mm -hmm. These are bare hands. This was real wood. It wasn't balsa wood. It wasn't cardboard. Every child there, there were maybe a dozen or so, did it unhesitatingly. Remarkable. When my, I saw my son after this, I looked, I'm a doctor. <laughs> I looked at his hand, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, is it, is it bruised? You know, is there any bleeding? Does it feel okay? Yeah. No issue. And I was curious because I didn't know we were going to do this. And at that point, in a sense, conceptually, I didn't know how they did that. Yeah. Because I thought, it would be, first of all, you'd really hurt your hand if you had a solid board. And secondly, some of them may not be able to break the board, you know, and just crack it maybe. But everyone <laughs> broke it. So I asked, what they teach you to do? How they teach you to do that? Yeah. Tell me, they taught them not to hit the board, to strike through and beyond it. So the board represents to me limiting beliefs. Yeah. They seem so real. But does it never say have to be a reality? Back to your doing. Can you modify it? I've done that many times in my life. Me too. I, I've lived in this one life, this one life, many lives. I've had many careers. I still have some simultaneously going on right now. <laughs> so I so know. <laughs> uh, back to the title of my first chapter. Things are not as they seem, nor do they have to be as they seem. Mm -hmm. Wow. What an important book to put out right now. Thank you so much, Howard. Thank you for your interest in helping to share this. I can imagine a very, very beautiful world. Good. You know, when I saw your website, I, I had looked through randomly. I'm doing this all my own. This is all new for me. And I saw your website. And I saw your face. Just like you feel called in part to share with me what you did when you started. Um, just felt something special. Um, and it's not something I've experienced, by the way, with any other site. I may have just been, you know, Googling to search out different sites mm -hmm. that are out there. Uh, I've been able to enjoy some of my podcasts as opposed to just doing it. Um, and I very much have enjoyed this. I think you knew from the beginning, um, very much so. But I just, I just felt something, I repeat, before I knew anything about you, just, just saw you visually. And then I just looked into the website and some of the things, and even, I don't know, the typefaces or colors, was various things. It just, it felt good. So again, I'm really appreciative of connecting well, with you too, not just, you know, having this opportunity. <laughs> but. Well, thank you. You know, like you, and I actually get told that I should think of myself more. Because many people don't even know the things that I do, because really, it, it's so exciting for me just to provide a space mm -hmm. you know, to 
to share and help people find their light within. Well, maybe we'll do a version of this where I interview you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a friend. It it could be good for the ego. (laughs) There you go. And I definitely would love to have that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the ego is a good one. I'm already, as you know, just in, in a natural resonant way drawn to you. So if you really want something, no, like that'd that, be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of conversations with my ego. So <laughs> <laughs> become an expert telling it to sit over there and time out. <laughs> well, the, the key thing was back to awareness is to even recognize we are not our ego. Yeah. We're not our clothes. Right. We're not this neat suit. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. You have been such a blessing to need today and thank you i hope i didn't ramble too much and no no that's what podcasts are rambling (laughs) 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 i have some very conscious listeners who are seeking i sense that from you know yeah yeah they're seekers like me Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for providing this wisdom tell everybody where they can find your book though most importantly Right now, it's mostly available online. Bookstores can order it from the distributor, which is Ingram Spark, anywhere in the world. It would have to be like a, a personal private order. But the easiest way for most people would be online, with, for example, in, in the United States, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in Canada, Indigo Chapters, and probably internationally, broadly, Amazon. But there may be other online uh, venues I'm not aware of in other parts of the world as well. So online is the way to get it. And uh, again, the title is Dream It to Do It the science, and the magic. Mm-hmm. And you're the boy with magic. <laughs> I'm the one who's trying to awaken other people to play with the magic. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for answering the wake-up call for the rest of everybody else. Thank you for hearing me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sense of Soul Podcast. And thanks to our special guests for joining me. If you want more of Sense of Soul, check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one or help support Sense of Soul Podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening.